0: Well, good morning, Life Community Church. It's good to be with you again as we wrap up our series on hope. We've spent um, four weeks talking about hope, talking about it at a point in time where it seems like uh, maybe all hope is lost, or at least it's hard to find. Um, And and this week hasn't helped. (laughs) Um, You know, we've we've had a hard week, and I have to admit that... um, That I just I feel a bit overwhelmed. I feel um, lost as we as we talk about hope and 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 try to guide our community towards uh, what it means to be people of hope, to be people who who see uh, what God is doing. And and remember, um, you know, when we started this series, we started the series with a definition of hope, and we said that hope is living in the expectation that no matter what the present may be. God will deliver on His promises for the best possible future, and and we want to be people who see that and believe that. Um, but living in the midst of a of a virus induced health crisis, um, that triggers an economic meltdown. That um, that that in the last ten days we've seen the taking of the life of a black man and. And the cries for justice um, that lead to to protests and even the confusion surrounding rioting and 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 everything that's in the news, I just have to confess that I I feel overwhelmed. I feel like like hope is is in doubt. Um. And so we want to wrap up today. We're gonna you know when we when we plan a series on hope months and months and months ago and then having no idea that we're going to be gathering remotely and and not knowing that um not knowing that that we're going to be living at a point in time where where um when we go out people wear masks and face shields and we have to stay six feet apart and not knowing that that we were going to see the kind of civil unrest that we've seen in the last 10 days. We just thought we'd, we'd talk about hope as this theological idea. And, um, and yet here we sit. And so, um, we're pivoting a little bit from the original plan to talk about hope. And today we want to ask, what do we do? What do we do? And the first thing, um, that we want to do is we want to take a look back at what we've said, because understanding where hope comes from is the first piece of, of having it. Um, If we want to build hope, we have to be um, we have to be not just aware, but we have to be present and living in the midst of, of what it means to have hope and how to, how to put structure on our thinking so that hope is possible. And so I'm going to return to the whiteboard. And we're going to take a look at at the structure of hope and and actually ask some questions about our current moment and how hope speaks into um, the case of, of George Floyd and how it speaks into to living in at a point in time where people are demanding justice and 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 fighting for hope. So let's take a look at at this structure again. Okay, so we're over here at the whiteboard. And we're going to take a minute to take a look at, the, again, at the four-part story of what God's doing in his story in working with mankind. And so if you remember, there's a four—God's story has four chapters. And in chapter one, we have the story of creation. Chapter two is the story of the fall, or man's sin. Chapter three is redemption. And chapter four is glorification— Or one day, heaven. And so we have creation, the fall, redemption, and glorification. These are all key aspects of God's story in working with mankind. Now, what we have, we also attached a verb to each one of these, or an important word that goes along with each one. And for creation, that word was the word ought. Ought, it's what ought to have been, it's what should have been. If sin had never entered the equation, it's the way God created the world, the way it was meant to be. For fall, the word is is. It's the way things are. Things just are a certain way. And they are that way because sin is everywhere. It affects everything. Every system is broken. Every person is flawed. Every idea that we have is is infiltrated with sin. For redemption, that word is can. It's can. We can live under the power of the way things ought to have been because Christ made a way for us. And finally, in glorification, it's the word will. It's the way things will be when when Christ returns. It's the way things will be when we're glorified, when we meet Jesus, and all of our sin is removed. So ought, is, can, and will, it's the four-part story of God's work with humanity. To make things right. Now, our present moment, and this is where the trouble comes, and this is where it's so difficult for us. In our present moment, we are clearly convinced of the fall. At least we ought to be. We're clearly convinced that sin is real, there's injustice in the world. People kill one another, and when they kill, we want revenge. And in the, the, the or in our best moments, we want justice, but 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 sin is so present. Racism is is it's it's sin. It is it's a it's a reflection of of our fallen humanity that our desires are gone wrong. And it's it's here, and we we feel stuck in it, and 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 so people try to to have hope in it. We try to have hope. We try to create a better system. We try to try to upend the power structures. We try to, to do what is, what's good and what's best and what's right. And, and we're left with this question of how do we? I, I believe we can, but how do we? And, and we find that the answer is actually found in other parts of the story. You see, when it comes to what we can do... We look at what ought to have been, and we try to ask, how can we restore the conditions of the garden? How can we restore the conditions that God originally created? How can we be agents of, of God's recreation so that, so that what we experience today more closely reflects what ought to have been? And if you listen to the debates and if you listen to the protests, you'll, you will hear people use this word. This is not the way things should be. It ought not to be this way, and they're right. We were not made to objectify one another, to enslave one another. We were not meant to dehumanize one another. We were all created in the image of God. And racism inherently dehumanizes our neighbors. It dehumanizes people. And when we dehumanize another, we're dehumanizing all of us. And when we dehumanize another, we're denying the image of God in them. We are denying God. And, and so when we say we want to make it right, when we say it it shouldn't be this way, we are reflecting the world the way God meant it meant to be. But it also brings in an aspect of will. It also brings in an aspect of will. Remember the Lord's Prayer. Remember when Jesus prayed with his disciples and, and he said that your, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are conditions that are ideal, that are perfect. That There are conditions that one day will be realized. And today, we're, we're looking at a world that's so stuck in, in sin, and we want it to be right. We know it can be. And in order to get there, we have to ask, what are the conditions of the perfect kingdom where God is king and his reign is irrefutable? And we want to pursue those. And here's the thing. When we put our hope or our trust or our faith in the wrong source, We're not gonna make ground here in the can. We won't have redemption or recreation. And I'm saying it, the answer is not a political answer. The answer is not an economic answer. Those things matter and they're important and and we ought to, as, as followers of Christ, we ought to be agents of change in those places. But ultimately, it is Christ who changes hearts. It's the work of God to change the hearts of people. And what we ought to be is agents of the kingdom. We ought to be people who are inviting others into a relationship with Christ because it's the relationship that produces hope. Because it's the relationship that says, no matter what the world throws at me, no matter what we find is, it's not always going to be that way. And we can, we can properly do something about it now. Our stories are being shaped by the current struggle. We're being moved by, 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 by a pandemic and by injustice and the resulting protests. It's happening. But our story needs to be rooted in these four chapters. Our story ought to, needs to be a story of creation and, and a recognition of our sin. It needs to be a story of God's redemption in our lives so that we no longer see the world the way we once did and a story that trusts in a future glorification where we'll be with him and the conditions that right now create injustice will no longer exist. So let's take a look at what some of the scripture has to say about this and where hope is found and some lessons that we can learn and practical, what's a practical thing that we can do in order to start to build hope into our lives? So if having hope requires understanding the, the whole story, the big picture, and then applying that big picture to our lives um, so, that, so that we find our stories wrapped up in the story of what God is doing, we want to take a look at, at, at how this played itself out in the scriptures. And who better to look at it than Jesus himself? And before Jesus went into public ministry, he, it, it tells us in Matthew chapter 4 that he went out into the wilderness. In fact, it tells us that the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we, we may know the stories of the temptation of Jesus, but today I want to look at these for a few minutes and with the lens of, of hope and how hope speaks into this and how hope was in doubt when Jesus was in the wilderness. And it tells us this, if you've you've got a Bible, or we'll put it up, it says this, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, it says, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That makes sense, right? He had 40 days of of fasting, and and he's hungry. Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God you see Jesus was tempted in this moment to put his hope in what he can do in order to provide for himself what 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 satan is tempting jesus with is this this moment of of need and want and jesus it makes sense that if that he would have been desperate have you been short on food at all in the last few months i know We've had those moments, right, where we've had, we've gone to the store and they didn't have bread, or we've gone to the store and they didn't have meat, or whatever it was that we, we needed at that point. Now imagine that by 40 days the cupboard is bare and you haven't eaten, and yet you have the capacity to turn the stones in your garden to bread. What Satan was offering Jesus was, was the opportunity to put his hope in his own ability, to put his hope and his trust and his faith in what he could do to provide for his own needs. And Jesus responds by saying that, that, that his life is not made up of, of bread. And he hearkens back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy where, where the, the children of Israel in the wilderness. And, and this is what they're, they're told from God. Do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, the physical things. They Of course they sustain life, but the physical things are not what encompasses life. And there was a very real temptation for Jesus in, in that moment to to substitute his hope in God for his hope in his stomach and his hope in his hands, his hope in the present moment to be able to feed himself. And we can do the same. We can absolutely do the same. And the second temptation of Jesus comes... In verse 5, Matthew chapter 4, it says, The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. He said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, and, and these temptations, they seem so strange to us, right? Because because going to the Temple mountain and throwing yourself down and all of these things, they they just they need some context. And you see there's there's prophecy, right? What what Satan quotes is is this prophecy that that if if Jesus is in is in danger, if the son is in danger, then the angels will come and they will they will they won't let him be hurt in that way. And and what what Satan is offering Jesus is he's offering him a shortcut. He's offering him a quick trip because if if he goes to the temple and he he throws himself off the highest point of the temple and he's suspended in midair it's an announcement that he's the messiah he could have had he could have had all the perks of being the messiah without having to go through the struggle or the fight without having to go through the death without having to go through the betrayal so what what satan was offering him in that moment was was the hope that you can have everything that you want without having to go through the the trial and the trouble to to have it to to get it the way that God intends for it to be. And we're tempted the same way, aren't we? We're tempted with the quick fix. We're just going to we're just going to quick fix this. I'm just going to I'm going to I'm going to do the the get out of debt quick. I'm going to do the 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 I just want to say the magic words. I want to take the magic pill. I want the exercise device that does the work for me. I and 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 what What Jesus responds with is, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, the things that God has promised are not there for us to be able to test him to see if if he's going to deliver. Faith says you are going to deliver. Our hope is built in, our, our trust is built in, our faith that God is going to deliver. And so Jesus is tempted there. He's tempted to put his hope somewhere else. And then the last one comes along in, in verse 8. says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. You see, in this instance, Jesus is being offered something that's already His. He's being offered all the kingdoms of the world, but the fact of the matter is they already belong to him. And Satan is trying to trying to to give get him to sacrifice the the big picture for just the moment. And that's the essence of having our hope tested. It's the essence of false hope is that the big picture is irrelevant, that the only thing that matters is this one moment. And it's so tempting for us in in this period of time. It's so tempting for us as our our current situations, to look at the, the point in time that we live, and to say, the big picture doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that that I have a comfortable life or that I'm distanced from it or that 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 I don't struggle. It's very tempting. And yet Jesus, Jesus, while tempted in the same way that we are, Jesus responds and he responds each time with something. And it's fascinating the way that Jesus responds. Because what we learn in Jesus' response isn't just that he knew his Bible. It's good to know your Bible. But it's that he actually responded to the the potential loss of hope. He he responded to the temptation to to some other source of hope. He was tempted to do that, and he responded by looking back. He looked back at what God had done in the past. You see, in that first instance, God had provided bread. For, for the children of Israel. And if he'd done that, Jesus was certain that God wasn't going to let him starve in the desert. And, and Jesus understood that, that, that even given the the temple and the loss of that temple mount and all the things that the Israelites had been through, that God was faithful to his promise that it would still stand. and if he was faithful to his promise to the children of Israel, he was going to be faithful to Jesus to see him through the process of of and the difficulty and the struggle and the trial that, that would announce him as the Messiah as the the answer to to humanity's struggles and And in this last one if if he could if, if God had been good, Then he was gonna in the past, he was going to be good to deliver to Jesus everything that was rightfully his by inheritance as the Son of God. He only needed to wait. He only needed to maintain his faith. And so the first thing that we that we learn here, the first, the first thing we come to when we think about building our faith is to look back. If we want hope for the future, we need to look back at what God has done. That's what Jesus did. He looked back to see what God had done. And from there, he was able to look forward to see what, what, what God would be doing, to put his faith and his trust that God was going, his Father was going to deliver on his promises. And we need to do the same thing. And so, before we do, I have a new story that we're going to share. This is Faith, and she's going to talk a little bit about, about something from her past and the way that she saw God deliver her in, in her past.
1: About five years ago, I moved to Columbus from Northwest Indiana, uh, just outside of Chicago. I moved here because my boyfriend of a year and a half lived here and we had always been long distance. I had a hope that he was the man I was going to marry and that everything here would work out. About two months in, I realized that our relationship was not safe or healthy for me to be in um so after praying a lot i decided to end our relationship and move out of his parents house where i had been living one of my co-workers who i had only known for a couple weeks said you are coming back on sunday and you are staying at my place with me and my son. She let me sleep on her couch for about a month um, and provided so much advice and love that I can never repay. Um, Throughout that time, I prayed to God to help me find a place to live outside of her apartment, and um, he provided. I had hoped my new apartment would be a wonderful place where I could finally breathe. Uh, My new apartment was an adventure, and I really learned to advocate for myself and the things I needed during that time i had good days and bad days where being here was hard um but i had hope that this is where I was supposed to be even though everyone and everything i had ever known was 300 miles away um god during that time placed so many people in my path like my friend who let me stay on her couch for a month before I moved into my apartment um, that and people like her gave me hope that this was really where I was supposed to be um, and here I am five years later still here and full of hope that God will provide even in the hardest circumstances
0: faith thanks for sharing that with us you see what what faith has done is she's looked back at her past and, and looking back in her past she's able to look forward to her future and you see this is consistent with the scriptures peter writes in first peter chapter three he says who's going to harm you if you're eager for doing good but even if you should suffer for what is right you're blessed don't fear their threats don't fear the the threats of those don't be frightened." And he says this in verse 15, pay close attention in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, set him apart as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Did you catch this? Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. In some ways, that's a a reasoned answer. We we use that scripture all the time to think about apologetics and to think about about a reasonable response to to the claim that there is no God or that Jesus isn't who the Bible claims that he is. But also, here's the thing, when when it comes to hope, remember what we saw Jesus do was to look backward. And the question for us today is, can you articulate can we articulate how God has been faithful to us, the reasons that we have hope? Can we share those reasons? Can we say to others why we have hope? Are we able to look back, as Jesus did, to the, to the stories of the scripture, to what God has done in the past, but also to, to what he's done in our lives? To be able to see clearly God's hand carrying us through, moving us through difficult times, carrying us forward so that we know and can recognize and trust his hand in our present moment when hope seems to be lost? It's a good and fair question. So the first thing we find in the, in the example of Jesus is this. We, we, can, we practice hope. We practice hope by looking back at God's work with those people, and we, and we find that in the scriptures. But we also practice hope by sharing our stories like faith did by telling others what God has done for us. There's power in the story. There's power in the narrative. And it's important that, that, that those stories be told. It's important that we share them. It's important that we, we not only others hear our story, but that we say it out loud. This is what God's done for me. Because in saying it, it actually begins to, to inhabit us. It begins to take up residence in our soul. It, by saying it, hope takes root that we're reminded of the good that God has done for us. We're reminded of the ways that he has he met us and our needs in the past, and he's going to be faithful to do it again in the future. And so here we are, looking back in order to see forward. And we're going to wrap up today with one more story, and this is going to be our closing moment, our closing prayer. And this is Michaela. Michaela has a story of, of the time where she's seen God deliver and come through for her Take a listen to what she has to say.
2: Hi, LCC. My name is Michaela, and this is my story of hope. Uh, what once felt like it was lost, um, you now is renewed and alive. I'm a couple of years out of college now, and life was pretty turbulent for me right around my graduation. Um, I was just about to move overseas, and then uh, I got into a car crash. I lost one of my best friends, and I learned that my parents were considering divorce. Uh, Even just one of those things would have been enough to completely shake my world. Um, And I pretty much lost all hope. I moved forward with my dream of living overseas, but my world was falling apart around me. I felt like an empty shell of a human being, so helpless and hopeless to change my family situation. I was so far away, I couldn't focus on my job overseas. And I felt so depressed and unable to get better. There were some pretty hopeless I time's there. I felt so powerless to change anything. And there was nothing I could do to even persuade God to make things better or heal my family. And after several months, I eventually decided to come back home as my mental and emotional health were falling quickly. And in that moment, it just felt like the end for me. My dream, yeah, my dream was totally shattered. And it was during this time that I started connecting with the Lord in a new way that I never have before. And that was through my negative emotions, through depression and hopelessness and despair. Um, It was through this time I learned how to connect with the Lord. Through my tears, through solitude and silence and prayer, I began creating spaces in which the Lord could minister to me and then inviting Him into those spaces. Sometimes that just looked like Laying in my room, listening to worship music, praying, um, expressing just my frustrations and thoughts and confusion to the Lord. Um, And through that time, his presence was so near to me and sustained me throughout it all. I I wish that I could say that chapter of my life is over, but honestly, a lot of ambiguity and confusion in my family still remains. Well, I've still I've grown spiritually, emotionally in many ways, but there's still hard days. And um, but the Lord is near; He hears us, and He invites us to hope. We're never left alone to wallow in despair, but He's always next to us throughout times of hopelessness and confusion. Um, in Psalm 27, the psalmist says, I would have despaired had I not seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We thank you, Lord, that you are never absent. You see every struggle, and you brought about a greater hope in me than I ever thought possible, Lord. And it took a long time. It was exhausting. But Lord, your provision runs throughout it all. You give us your presence and your spirit, and it is enough. We love you so much.